I'm going to transition us now. If you've been tracking with us, we've been in a series called Hearts Apart. Uh, it's a series looking at leadership and influence done right. And we're into our very final wrap-up week. And we wanted to do it slightly differently. So instead of just going straight to Sia's uh, preach, we're going to get there. On the front end, uh, I want to help. Uh, you know, it's not, I can't do it on my own. I actually want to invite two guys up who I'm going to quickly interview, specifically looking at the practical application of this series, what this series has actually spoken to them. And so why don't you join me in welcoming Tim Lazarus and Fulwani up onto stage right now. I love talking to both these guys. Um, they sit on our leadership team here at City, and they are both uh, crazy involved and uh, in the corporate space. Um, Tim works in insurance, and uh, Fulwani works in finance. I got that right, eh? I'm just checking. Um, it's always difficult to ask people in business and corporate, uh, what do you do and exactly what it is? Because they look at you when you're in ministry and they're like, I don't think you're going to understand. So I'll just say I'm in finance. Um, and that makes sense. Um, but I love talking to these guys for this very reason, is we're doing a series talking about leadership and influence. And sometimes when you sit in my seat um, with the, the job I have, um, it's sometimes so important to understand that this doesn't just matter here on a Sunday, it matters Monday through Friday. And so getting moments like this where we actually get to, as a group, as a corporate uh, community, really say, well, what does this look like played out Monday to Friday? We get to have kind of cool conversations like this. And so even getting ready for this, I was so encouraged by the conversations I had with Tim and Fulwani. Um, I don't, these are the type of guys, you don't need to give them much and they will give you a lot and it will be golden. And so we've had gone through three weeks of Hearts Apart looking at uh, King David and King Saul and really comparing the heart positions uh, and how God had molded their leadership and influence, one leading to destruction and one leading to blessing. And so I'll start out with Tim. Um, Tim, what was one of the like big highlight, big takeaway moments and, and how did that play out in practically uh, what you've seen through your experience and your day to day? Hello, everybody. Nice to be with you all this morning. Duncan, Duncan insulted me this morning, first thing, by saying that he introduced me by saying that I was older than him, um, which he was trying to insult me. But actually, I worked out two things. One, yes, I'm a few years older than, than Duncan, but, but I have grandchildren and he doesn't. What a privilege that is. And I've been vaccinated. <laughs> Victory. <laughs> So I thought, about, I thought about where we are in leadership and influence and, 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 and how we should cover this and how we should conclude the series and all that kind of stuff. And the very first thing that came to me in the, in the meetings that we had and, and the, and the um, lessons that we learned was um, who is a leader and who is an influencer? Now we know we can think straight away who their certain leaders are and who the certain influencers are. But then it came to me that Every single one of you is a leader. And every single one of you is an influencer. None of us are the same. None of us, God doesn't design us to be the same. But every single one of you in your own sphere, in my sphere, in everybody's sphere here, we are all leaders and we all influence others. So it doesn't matter in which position you find yourself in, you are a leader. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you. You're a leader. You are, you said it, not me. So you are, you're a leader and you're an influencer. So I thought about how, how, what we have to do about this. And, and what came to me is a, a, very, a very old um, um, 
spreadsheet program. And I walked around here just now, so I feel much better now this morning later on, because there are a good number of you who are older than 45. Because this morning there weren't so many. So now you guys will know what I'm talking about. But we used to have a program, a, a, a program, a spreadsheet program called Lotus. Don't acknowledge it, people. We, we had a program called Lotus, and it was a very boring program. It was a blue screen, and all the letters were yellow, and that's all it did. And then a couple of years later, it, it, there was a superimposition program on, on Lotus called WYSIWYG, which is spelt W, I heard some people laughing there, W, how does WYSIWYG? W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G, which stands for what you see is what you get, meaning this. That you've done your spreadsheet program on the computer and you've, you can now draw little lines and you can draw boxes, you can draw colors, you can draw arrows. And what you see on the screen is what you get in the print form. And it's called WYSIWYG. Now, leaders and influencers, I want to encourage every single one of you to be WYSIWYG. Which means this. What you see in Tim is what you get. And we have got to be ourselves in all and everything we do. Don't ever try and be anybody else. I, I, I said this morning, that please, don't try and be like James. Laura came up to me and said, oh no, please, not another James. No, 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 you know. Don't try and be like anybody else. Be yourself. Let me give you an example of what that means, because we're all human, me most of all. So I mentioned this morning that, that one of the things that I wanted to be before I was 30 was I wanted to be a director of a corporation in South Africa. And I worked hard at being that, and I was a director when I was 29. Then I realized after that what it meant to be a director in South African law, and I thought, oi, gewalt, I don't want to be a director of any company by the time I'm 40. That didn't work. But anyway, the reason for that is that we want to be something that perhaps we're not. And I mentioned an example which I did for myself. I traveled quite a bit in, in those early years. And every time I got to the airport, all the people that I was with went into the bookstore and they bought themselves a financial mail or business day or one of those kind. And I hated that thing. I thought, okay, I better, I better go and buy a financial mail so I look the part. Meanwhile, I hated it. I just wanted a place to do co or wordscapes or one of those things on my phone. We didn't have a phone. On my laptop. It, and and I, it, was, it, was, it was me not being who I was. And we've got to learn and we've got to encourage each other to be who you are. Don't ever try and be Duncan. You won't succeed. Just be you, who you are. Colin Cowdery was, a, was an English cricket player, became a very good English cricket captain. And he was interviewed once and they said to him, well, what makes you such a good captain? And he said, well, you know, experience, I suppose. Yeah, 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 I understand that, said the interviewer. But how do you get the experience? I mean, how do you get to that point? He said, well, by making good decisions. And they said, that sort of made sense. And then, he, and then they said, well, how do you get to making good decisions? And then he looked at her and he said, by making bad ones. And that's exactly like all of us. As we learn and as we grow and as we become influencers and as we become leaders, we're going to get there. We're going to get there by experience. But getting there, we're going to make lots of errors. David made unbelievable blunders. And, and the people around David and God 
came and, and corrected what David had done. I said this morning how the, we, we are, when we get born again, we're all zealous. We're going to save the world, Reinhard Bonko used to say. And he made huge errors, and it's the job of the elders to clean up the errors afterwards. But you know what? That's what we do. We make errors. Don't worry about making error. We'll clean up. Don't stop yourself. Don't think, oh, if I do this, it could be. Go and do it because it'll give you that experience to become the leader, to become the influencer that God wants you to be. Very, very good. For one, something that came out and, and struck you was uh, quite different to that and actually was in uh, size week in week two. Um, and it was the whole door of opportunity versus door of obedience that spoke to you. Why don't you tell us more about that and then how that played out in your day-to-day uh, life? Certainly, um, I think that, that really resonated with my spirit. But as a sidebar and echoing what Tim said, if ever there's a question in your heart and in your mind whether you are called to be a leader or not, leadership basically starts with leading self on a day-to-day basis to do the right things. And um, I think leadership starts in secret, in a place of secrecy. Um, where you govern your thoughts, where you, um, you know, you get yourself to that place where the posture and the disposition of your heart is that of worship and obedience to God. Okay, so door of opportunity um, in contrast with um, door of obedience. So David was anointed to be king. Saul was there. There was a waiting period of 15, 15 years and um, he had multiple opportunities to either cut the waiting period short or secondly, to ascend the throne as quickly as possible, um, which will malign the will of, the will of God for, for, for his life. The first opportunity was when Saul was hunting for David. He went into a cave um, to take a poop. <laughs> so... So the Bible says he went went to relieve himself, but in the words of Simon, he went to take a pool. Um, And uh, David saw him in the cave. He cut the hem of his garment. Um, But what the Bible doesn't record is what David used as a face covering while all this was uh, unfolding. But I will leave it to your imagination. So... He decided to honor God and said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He's anointed by God to be king. My turn will come. And maybe let me say that 15 years of waiting period was preparing David to be the king that he was. Um, Had he killed Saul prematurely and ascended the throne prematurely, he will probably, and it is my firm belief that he will probably not have been the king that he was. The king who who would turn back to God when things um, go wrong. Second opportunity that he got, Saul was sleeping. His sword was by his head and a jug of water. Um, His men said, you know what, let's just pin this bloke um, against the ground with his own sword. He denied himself that opportunity again waiting in obedience to God. And that's why he became the great king um, that he was. I think let me hand it over to you, Dance. Uh, oh, maybe let me address the, the issue of honor. Um, the Bible commands us to 
honor those in leadership, honor those who are in positions of authority. Um, we see it in David. Um, even after he saw his master, his king Saul, taking a poop, which is in a very vulnerable position, he still addressed himself, he still addressed um, Saul as my Lord and my King. And if we bring it into practicality and in a corporate space or in everyday life, how many of us have seen the nakedness of those in authority, those who have been called by God um, to be above us, yet we still see them the same and give them the same respect after we have seen their blunders and nakedness. Okay, over to you, Dunks. I, I think I'm, quoting, I'm no, talking really too much is. now. I, I think it is <laughs> such a challenge just in that moment of so often we do see the weakness of others and that will then define how we treat them, how we respect them, the authority we'll give them. And yet God calls us to do it very differently. And I think what you've both said is probably summarizing in terms of the whole application of this is so much of leadership and influence done right, led by God as at a heart level, is actually how it plays out in our decisions. Uh, whether it's bad decisions to help us learn which way, or in the area of integrity, actually being able to step that out, or even our decisions in how we go about following, because so much of leadership is actually about followership. Um, how we actually go about that in walking that road of obedience. And uh, I was reminded, we had just done a, a, a city podcast series um, called Ref the Reflect Now podcast, and one of our guests was Nolan McQuenna. And uh, he spoke about this, that our decision-making, when it is kingdom-focused, actually acts as a polisher, a buffer, that actually will buff us out, polish us, so that we can better reflect uh, God and His kingdom to the world. And I think it's so important if you grab, grab a hold of that integrity, that obedience, and it directs our decision-making, our leadership and influence is gonna look very, very different. Why don't you give Tim and Fulwani a big hand? I'm gonna hand over to Sai. And Sai's gonna be taking us away with week four of Hearts of Heart. Give him a hand. All right. Thanks, bro. Bitch. I just love this church. Thanks, bro. There you go. Man after God's own heart. Um, and it's so good to see you. Uh, as always, thank you so much for uh, your partnership here at City. We just really love and appreciate every single one of you for the many ways that you partner with us, uh, the amazing way that you continue to uh, give to God, put your finances, uh, God first in your finances. Uh, and so thank you so much. Uh, for that. And hey, we're, uh, you know, we're taking it day by day and week by week. And uh, at the moment, uh, we do want you to know that we are aware and we keep in a, a close eye on what is going on with COVID. Um, our, our good friend, uh, COVID. Um, and we, we will continue to take all the necessary precautions uh, as we go along, uh, just to remind you uh, that we are very thorough uh, with our sanitizing uh, and with our regulations here. Um, but uh, yes, like Duncan said, uh, some of the extra things for right now, we're just putting on pause just to be safe at this point. Uh, and we'll take it week by week. So do stay on top of the communication uh, that we do send out. If you don't receive, we actually send probably uh, weekly SMSs and probably every second week emails. If you don't receive those, uh, do... Um, no, Dekelo, she works in, you get it? You do get them, you do get them. How much do we love Dekelo over here? Can we just give Dekelo a round of applause? We love her. 
Uh, and um, also on the City Podcast. Uh, if you missed that podcast, the Reflect Now, do go grab that as well. So many great things, and like I say, uh, just an amazing time to be the church. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up, and now I've only got 18 minutes left because I've been rambling. Uh, the series, and I think this has been an excellent, excellent series. If you've missed any part of the leadership series, any of the last three weeks, uh, I'd encourage you to go into YouTube and to re-watch those. So much for you to take out uh, of the series, lots of points that you could scribble down uh, for you to apply to your life and leadership in every aspect of your life. Um, and so today we're wrapping it up, we're tying a bow on it. And with the resurgence of uh, the greatest sitcom of all time, Friends, can I get an amen? Uh, with the, do we have any Friends fans here in the house? Yes, I'm glad we got lots of them. And the resurgence of the reunion show, which was amazing, uh, it reminded me of a certain episode, and those of you who are fans will know the one I'm talking about, where uh, Rachel is um, telling Ross to calm down with his eating. He's basically inhaling his food he's eating so fast. And Ross says to her, well, I grew up with Monica. If you didn't eat fast, you didn't eat. Okay, he, <laughs> he had to fight as a child growing up. Now, some of you might have grown up in a big family. Maybe you grew up with six siblings and you know what it's like to have to fight for anything in that family. And what occurred to me when I was thinking about this is if you grew up in a family like this where you had to fight, you actually grew up with a distinct advantage in life. Because I want to say to you this morning that the faith life is a fight. The faith life is a fight. And that's not even a metaphor. That's not saying that the faith life is like a fight. It's saying the faith life is a fight. It's a battle, literally. And so much so that Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, says to him in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's saying, fight the good fight. It is a fight. And the truth of the matter is, if you and I are going to live by faith, if we're going to walk by faith, if we're going to be people of faith, we've got to find the fighter within us. Amen. It's inevitable that at some point in our journey, at some point uh, in our faith journey, in our own individual journeys of leadership or just your own private journey, you're going to find yourself at some point in your journey coming under fire. And whether that's your leadership at home, how many of you know, parents, the fight that it is sometimes to be a parent, whether that's your leadership at work, whatever that looks like, there's going to come a time where you're going to find your confidence in God being assaulted. You're going to find your confidence being attacked by fear and doubt. There's going to come a time where you're going to even find your trust in God being undermined by worry and anxiety. I wonder how many of us can relate to this in our own journeys. So the question that we're asking today is what do we do about that? What do we do when that happens? And I think far too often uh, we all can make the mistake of assuming that our battle that we fight, our struggle, our conflict comes from the people around us, the neighbor, the colleague, the member of the extended family. Can I get an amen? Anybody got that member of the extended family <laughs> causing conflict? But the truth of the matter is our conflict is not those people. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 10 that our real struggle is not against flesh and blood. It says we wrestle against principalities and powers and forces. And what Paul is insinuating here is that our true battle is with an enemy that is far more subtle and far more sinister. 
that ultimately what we struggle against in our faith life, things like selfishness, things like unforgiveness, struggles like pride and discouragement and doubt, struggles with fear and temptation, these are the things that are out there to undermine our faith and challenge our trust in God. And so the question is, what do you do? What do you do when your faith comes under fire? What do you do when your trust in God gets shaken? What we're going to do this morning is jump into 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, there's three lessons that we can pick out from our friend David uh, when his faith came under fire. And so I'm going to read for you. You can follow along with me in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the first eight verses. It says, now it happened. Everybody say, now it happened. When, there's some words here that I'm going to stumble across, so forgive me as we get to them. But now it happened when David and his men returned to Ziglag on the third day uh, that the Amalekites had invaded the Negev and the city of Ziglag, attacked it and burned it with fire. They had also taken captive the women and all those who were there, from small to great, but without killing any of them. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had also been captured. There's their names. <laughs> you can read it for yourself. Yeah. And moving on. Now, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. I love this one. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And then David said to the priest, bring me the ephod. So he brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord. Big one here, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And then the Lord answered, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So there's the story, and to catch you up, uh, we've been in it for the last three weeks, but Saul is on the throne, and David is on the run. Saul is currently ruling, but David has been anointed to be king. And so David did enjoy a time of success and popularity with the people of Israel. So Saul became jealous of him and basically is out to kill him. David is essentially a fugitive in the story. And where we find David right now is he's living in the outskirts of Israel. He had gathered together a band of about 600 men uh, who had aligned themselves to him. And basically as part of their survival strategy, just as a means of surviving, what would happen is David and his men would occasionally cross over the borders of Israel to the small towns on the outside and they would raid and plunder them in order to survive. And so this story happens on one of those days. One of these excursions, they're out and the Amalekites descend from the hills nearby and raise the whole camp to the ground. They capture all the women, they capture all the children, and they take them into captivity along with all of David's possessions. And so David and his men then return and find that the camp is burned to the ground. Everyone is gone, all the possessions are stolen. And as we read over there, it says that they were so overcome by worry and anxiety and grief and it says they wept until they had no more power to weep. They wept to the point of exhaustion. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you have wept 
to the point of exhaustion. This is where they find themselves. And in that moment, to make matters worse, these men turn to David and they point to him and they say, well, this is your fault. (laughs) Don't you love it? You're the leader. You took us out to the camp. You left us vulnerable. And so now we're going to kill you. Don't you just love leadership, you know? How many of you know leadership can be a lonely place sometimes? Amen. Maybe as a side note right here, if you're in leadership, which, you know, we all are, remember this, people are fickle, yes? People can take you from hero to zero in five seconds flat. And when you're in a leadership position, here's a tip. When you're in a leadership position and people are loving you and they're supporting you and they're there for you, here's a tip. Don't let it get to your head. And when you're in a leadership position and people are blaming you and accusing you and undermining you and wanting to kill you, (laughs) don't let it get to your heart. It's leadership. It is what it is. You can't take it personally. That's the nature of leadership. So here we have David and his men, and they find themselves in this very difficult, very distressing situation. And the questions become, what do you do? What do you do in a situation like this? And what I love in, is how the story unfolds is those first three words that we read together. The first three words of that first verse when the story begins, now it happened. Everything that I've just explained to you, everything that we read there starts with, now it happened. Sometimes you might see a bumper sticker on a car that says something similar to now it happened. It happens. But we don't say that in church. But it happens. And that's the thing. Because it explains the nature of how life can be. It explains how we can experience life sometimes. You're traveling along. You're loving God. You're trying to be obedient to the call of God on your life. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, you can be blindsided by unwanted, unexpected, unanticipated, undeserved turns of events in your life that just leave you feeling overwhelmed, confused, fearful, unsure about your own future. It happens, but it comes without your permission. It comes without your involvement. It comes without any forewarning. How many of you know it happens? And so maybe like David and his men, you're sitting here this morning and you're facing something in your life. You're facing a circumstance in your own life that is leaving you feeling out of control, feeling at the end of the rope, feeling like you've got no idea what you're going to do about it. And this is one of the things that I personally love most about Scripture. Right, in Institute at the moment, they're talking about how to study the Bible. Well, this is one of the things I think I love most about the Bible, is that the Bible never attempts to sugarcoat the life of faith. How many of you can testify to that? It doesn't sugarcoat the life of faith. The Bible never attempts to to present the life of, of faith as something that it is not. The life of faith is not a vaccination against the realities of life, amen? Following Jesus is not a shot in the arm. It's not an inoculation against pain or suffering. In fact, Jesus himself said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. Well, thanks Jesus, that's encouraging. But he goes on to say, but take heart, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You will face troubles, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. That's encouraging. And the truth of the matter 
is that every single one of us live in something of a gap. There's the gap between reality and possibility. We live in that. The gap between what is and what could be, or what is and what should be. And there's grace for that gap, but we so often find ourselves caught in this tension within that gap. And the reason that this gap exists, the reason that we're caught in this gap, is because all of human life, all of human life has been tainted by the consequence of the rebellion of the human heart against God. And the consequence is sin and death. And so consequently, every single one of us, even the most devout follower of Jesus in the room or online, hello online, this morning, every single one of us will face pain and will face disappointment and we will face sorrow and we will face grief. Every one of us. Bad things happen. Sometimes bad things even happen to God's people. Sometimes things don't go according to plan. And so when these things come our way and when they try to derail our faith, the question is, what do we do in that circumstance? And so I think there's three things that we can learn from David in the story that we're going to jump into in the few minutes we've got left together. The first thing that David does, number one, is faith fans the fire of courage. Faith fans the fire of courage. Verse six says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Another version, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And that's a qualified statement if you listen to it. It doesn't just say that David encouraged himself full stop. David didn't stand in front of a mirror and self-talk and say, you can do this, David, come on. That's not what he did. It says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so the question, how do you do that? How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? We actually see David doing it over and over again in the Psalms. And it's amazing to see. When David's confronted by an enemy, when David's overwhelmed by a circumstance, he would talk to his own soul. He would talk to his own soul. He would remind his soul of the promises of God, of the faithfulness of God, of the power of God. For example, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. He's talking to his soul. Another one, my soul, why are you downcast within me? Keep your hope in God. Isn't this amazing? Time and time again, he talks to his own heart and he reminds his own heart of the faithfulness and the goodness and the power that is already his in Jesus. Amen. If there's a tip that I want to leave you with today, if there's something you want to write down today, it's this. You have got to train your voice to be a voice of encouragement. You have got to train your voice to be a voice of encouragement. Because how many of you know sometimes the only voice of encouragement you're going to hear is your own voice? Sometimes the only voice you're going to hear is your own voice. And I think the most practical handle that I can give you for how to do this is to start to pray the truth of God already revealed over your own life. Pray it out loud. Let the words come out of your mouth to, to go into a room and close the door and start saying these words, praying, out the, praying the truth of God out loud. God, you said, never will you sake me. You said, never will you uh, leave me. Jesus, you said that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of Jesus. Not height, nor depth, not angels, nor demons, not even COVID. There's nothing that can separate me, Jesus, from your love. And you need to start speaking it out. And as you speak out the truth that is already yours in Jesus, faith will start rising up within you. 
and your spirit will begin to strengthen, you've got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Number one. Number two, faith turns to God for direction. Faith turns to God, to see that, to God for direction. Verse eight, David inquired of the Lord. He turned to God to ask God. He inquires of the Lord. And if you read the narrative of David's life, all the way from 1 Samuel 16, all the way into 2 Samuel, you see this phrase repeating itself over and over and over again. David inquires of the Lord. It's awesome. Every time David comes to a difficult intersection, whenever he faces a tough decision, whenever he faces opposition, what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. And this actually stands in such stark contrast to Saul. This is the hearts apart from Saul because Saul was the exact opposite. Saul was self-made. Saul would always go against counsel, but David is the opposite. David inquires of the Lord. And I think what's important to look at over here is not just the fact that David inquires of the Lord, which is important. I think what's more important to look at is the nature of David's inquiry. Because when David comes before God to seek him about the situation he is in, notice that David doesn't start with asking the question, why? Why me, God? Why has this happened to me? Why? The why question. The why question seems to be an obvious question. It, it's a human question. It's a natural question. Why? When we're in a situation that has left us feeling overwhelmed and uncertain and fearful and afraid, the truth of the matter is we want to ask the question, why? I wonder how many of us have asked that question of God how many times in our life? If God, then why? If God is so powerful, why has he not intervened? If God is so concerned about my well-being, why do I still not have a job? Why? It's a natural question. It's an understandable question. It's a logical question to ask. But to be honest, I found that for the most part, God actually doesn't bother with the why questions. I think the reason that God doesn't bother with the why questions is that I don't think we have the capacity to fully understand the why. You see, God in His sovereignty, God in His superiority, God in His infinite wisdom understands the full scope and the full dimension of the why. But us as humans, in our limited, finite capacity, we simply cannot understand the why. How many of you know His ways are much higher than our ways? His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And so it's just so simply that we don't understand the full scope of the why. And so in instances that you find yourself in, in times of crisis uh, in your life and in your leadership, although it seems natural and logical to ask why, the why question is the wrong question to ask. It's the wrong question to ask. I've learned that if you wanna hear from God, if you wanna know God's heart, you have to start asking the right questions. And the right question to ask is not why, but what now? The right question is not why, but what now? God, what do you want me to do now? What action do you want me to take now? What do you want me to do? 
And when we do that, when we ask the what now question, God not only speaks and instructs and directs, He also empowers and enables us so that we can begin to move forward. And that's exactly what David does over here. He goes before God and he says to God, God, what now? He asks him, what next? What must I do? Must I go after them? Must I stay? And God speaks to David and he says, yes, David, get up, go after them, chase them down and you will recover everything that you lost. And that's what David does. But it's be why? <laughs> because he asked the right question, what now? The third and final one, as I asked the band to join me back on stage this morning, is that faith trusts and obeys. Faith trusts and obeys. In verse 10, so David and 400 of his men set out in pursuit. Now, I, I actually believe that if God had said to David, you must stay and do nothing, then that's exactly what David would have done. I, I believe that that's the, that's the nature of David's heart. But what did David do? He listened and he trusted and obeyed. He rose up in trust and obedience and did exactly what God told him to do. And the best thing that you can do when God gives you an instruction is to do what He tells you to do. Amen? The best thing that you can do, church, when God gives you an instruction is to do what He tells you to do. The story continues that David and the men tracked down the Amalekites they battled them and they recovered everything that they had lost. And the Bible says, plus more. They recovered everything plus more because of this obedience. And this church is the glory and the wonder and the power of our God. As we wrap up, zoning on this this morning. I think this is so important for so many people in the room right now. That God can take the very circumstance that the devil meant for your destruction and he can use it for your promotion. God will take the circumstance that the devil is intended for your harm and turn it to your good. He can take the very situation that you thought was going to derail you, the very situation that you thought was going to finish you, and He can turn it into the beginning of something brand new that will catapult you into a whole new level of experience and influence and blessing and health and growth in your own life. I truly believe this, that God can take any situation. What it is that you're facing today, I honestly believe God can take any situation and turn it around for His glory and our good. His glory and our good. And that's why Paul so clearly says that God is able to work all things together. It doesn't say God is able to work most things together. He says He is able to work all things, all things, all things, church, together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Our God can turn water into wine, amen. He can turn dead things back to life. Our God is a supernatural, miracle-working God. There is nothing that is impossible for Him. And so today, whatever it is that you're facing, no matter what you're facing, no matter what circumstance you are in today, I want you to know that God is able to take that thing and work it together for His glory and your good. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we wrap up. And we're going to take some time just reflecting across the series, take some time reflecting about what it is in your own life right now that God is speaking to you about. 
if you're in a circumstance, if you feel that you're in a crisis and you wanna know what to do, what of these things stands out to you? Faith that can fan the fire of courage. Faith that must turn to God for direction. Faith that simply trusts and obeys. Let's spend some time worshiping and ask God to speak to us into this this morning. Amen.